Hey guys, before we get started with the podcast today, I wanted to make you all aware of a webinar that is taking place today, March 23rd at noon Central Daylight Time. It's being put on by the folks over at AgriSafe Network. They are putting on a webinar today about what the ag community needs to know about COVID-19 and its effects on the ag community and uh, what strategies that you can implement on your operations to help best insulate yourself from from the effects of COVID-19. So like I said, that's being put on by the folks over at AgriSafe. If, even if you do not, and you're listening to this later on after March 23rd, you can go view this online um, on demand. Um, and also I will be talking with Natalie and Linda from AgriSafe just later on this week. It's going to be my first bonus episode of this podcast. So uh, I'm really excited to talk to them and get a little bit more in depth on this webinar and maybe a little bit of the reactions that they had coming out of the gate with that. So uh, be sure to tune in. It'll You should be able to find it. It will be under our same feed. Just it'll be listed as a bonus episode. So uh, really excited to talk to them and I hope you all can find this webinar of theirs of Agrisace and be able to at least view it in the future. We'll go ahead with the regularly scheduled episode now. Ag State of Mind, episode 26. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Greetings and welcome to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a member of the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and today on the show, we have the pleasure of speaking with Amanda Radke. Amanda is a wife, mother, rancher, blogger, and speaker from Mitchell, South Dakota, who has dedicated her career to serving as a voice for the nation's beef producers. We talked to her about her journey as a blogger, a speaker, and advocate for the beef industry. We also spend some time talking about her, a few of the articles that she dove into mental health and how it affects ag producers. I've been following Amanda for quite some time now, and anytime anyone asks me for an ag blog that I would recommend to them. I always recommend Amanda's Beef Daily blog because it's one of the most influential blogs in my own personal experience as far as being an advocate for the beef industry and trying to speak out and be proud of my role as an ag producer. So uh, I'm very appreciative of Amanda, not only for the work that she's done, but for her willingness to sit down and have a conversation with me and have it recorded and to share it with the listeners of this podcast. Amanda is, she was a very cool to talk to, very, very sweet girl. And um, I really appreciated her coming on. But before we get started, I just want to encourage everyone listening to this to check in on the folks they care about in these tumultuous times with precautions being taken as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, there are lots of people out out of their normal routines. So this can lead to people going to some pretty dark places. So please, if there are people who you care about and they may be going through some tough times, just make sure to check on the people that you love. And also, again, uh, in a different note, obviously a much less important note, but again, if you have the time, we appreciate anyone listening to this podcast that 
If you could go out and leave us a review, uh, reviews help us not only to get out in front of a wider audience, but it also provides us with some constructive feedback here to our team at Ag State of Mind to help us know what we're doing good job at and maybe some places where we can improve. So please go out and leave us a review. It really uh, helps us a lot. So here we go now with my interview and conversation with Amanda Radke. All right, Amanda, thanks for coming on today. How are you? I'm great. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Um, so I just want to talk to you. I've been, I've been following you for a lot of years, really. I don't, I don't know how many exactly, but I know it was shortly after I graduated college. So uh, I'm, I'm very familiar with your work. And, and I'll have to say you, you've been a big influence on some of the work I've tried to do and tried to, to, try to shoot for and try to uh, emulate a little bit. But for those who are listening, who may be hearing you for the first time, um, why don't you tell them a little bit about who Amanda Radke is? Sure. Well, thank you for the kind words and for following along all these years. I guess I'm a rancher from South Dakota. My husband, Tyler, and I uh, raise limousine cattle, and I write a blog every Monday through Thursday for Beef Magazine. I mean, in my spare time, I write children's books that are agriculturally accurate and go to, you know, classrooms and read my stories and and then, yeah, raise raise some kids here on our farm and, and do a little speaking in between, I guess. Yeah. Two things kind of stood out to me when you were talking there. And the first is that you raise limousine cattle. And that that I think that might have been the first thing that kind of struck with me the first time I read you is we we traditionally have used black limousine bulls in our in our commercial operation. And oh, you know, wonderful. At, at a time when so many people were just using exclusively Angus genetics as you know, especially in their bulls, you know, that stood out to me. And then also uh, your your children's book. I, I actually purchased the Levi's Lost Calf and our kids and we read it from time to time, you know, it was in our, our kids are kind of old now for story time, but when they were younger, we, <laughs> we read it a lot. So uh, thank you for that. That was a, that was a really cool book and that to do what you were doing to write agriculturally accurate based books is something that is, is, is lacking. I feel like in, in awesome that you took that on. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. My illustrator and I, actually our third book is coming out this week as we speak and it's, not about cattle this time. It's about uh, peanut production. So some Georgia farmers hired us to tell the story of peanut farming. And so our, I guess, just a shameless plug, our business is called Egg Storytellers. And so we work with commodity groups to try to teach kids about where their food comes from. That is that is awesome. That is, you know, it's something, like I said, it's something that is so needed because we are so, so many of us, we were talking before we recorded, who are in, in production ag- agriculture, we, we understand it because we live it, but there's so many, you know, 98 some, you know, percent of the population is not involved in that. And for them to be introduced to that in a, in an accurate way at such a long or such an early age is, is very, very important and very, very powerful. And, you know, think about the things that you hold on to as you grow into adulthood. There were things when, you know, you learned as you were, as you were growing up and to be able to take accurate information and apply that to the rest of your life is very helpful and um, helpful to, to your, to your perspective going forward. 
Yeah, I think the closer we can bring young people back to nature and back to the farm and kind of our roots and heritage in America, um, you know, the more educated and informed consumers will have be will have when they're adults and. And it's really neat to kind of introduce farm life to kids who, you know, aren't fortunate enough to have grown up in it and get to, to live that lifestyle. So it's, it's definitely really rewarding and something I enjoy doing for sure. So as I said earlier, we, you know, I've been reading you for years and last April you posted a piece about ag and depression. Um, the article was, it was kind of a catalyst, I feel like, for the work that I'm, I'm doing and where I am now. And um, I just want to know what, prompted you to start writing that? What, what prompted you to write? I mean, and maybe you wrote it before that, I don't know, but that's the first time I saw you write about it. What prompted you to start writing about that? You know, 2019 was a really tough year for a lot of people, but I feel like especially in my neck of the woods, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just from beginning to end, the weather just plagued us. I mean, it was just extreme from the, from January all the way till Christmas and with extremely cold temperatures and then blizzards that lasted into well into April. And then, um, you know, we had flooding and we weren't able to plant or put up hay. And then we, we had more moisture at harvest time and it just, it just drug on. And I just could see in our community just how much it was impacting um, farming families and morale was just really low. And then you combine that with ongoing trade wars and market uncertainties and low commodities and, you know, people in our area going bankrupt and exiting the business. And it, it just seems like right now there's just this perfect storm of things happening and people are struggling and you feel like you're struggling alone, but chances are your neighbors are going through the exact same things that you are. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I probably was having a bad day and needed to vent. That's probably what prompted me to start writing about it, to be honest. Isn't that funny how it comes, you know, how things come to about? Um, I know there's so many times where things have kind of come from my own internal uh, problems and my own internal uh, thoughts and just trying to get them out. And then, you know, that turns into something else. And honestly, that's kind of where this the idea for this podcast came from was having a similar type experience where I've, I've spoke before where my son was, I was, I was away and my son and my dad, my dad's elderly is, was, they were bailing hay at home. It was July, this past July and uh, the tractor caught on fire and um, you oh, know, wow. it all, yeah, all, everything tractor burn up. And I was in Dallas, which is about eight and a half hours away from home. So it was just, you know, awful, awful thing, but you know, everything, everybody was okay. And I was able to deal with it. And, you know, knowing that other people have obviously gone through similar type situations, knowing that to try to help them get, you know, help other people get through these things like I have, um, that's kind of where this idea sprung from. Yeah. And I think it's so important what you're doing, because I mean, like we talked about before we started recording, and there's not a lot of men in this space who are, are willing to share this kind of thing. There's just kind of that stereotype of the tough cowboy who just bucks up and deals with it and doesn't, you know, vocalize. Whereas, you know, as women in agriculture, we're more willing to go get a coffee with a girlfriend and talk about our problems or, you know, just kind of vent to a friend and then you feel better. Um, so I think it's really important for everyone um, to kind of acknowledge what's going on in agricultural communities and, and nobody has to suffer alone. And, you know, no one has to get to the point where, you know, just down the road from me about 40 miles, 
Um, it was in the Wall Street Journal of a of a farmer who committed suicide and left his wife and three kids and, and their farming operation behind and just how tragic that loss was for the ag community. And, you know, it just gets you to start asking these questions. What do we need to do to recognize some of these signs in our neighbors and, and in ourselves or in our loved ones? And and where do we go to to get the right resources in front of these people and and to just get them the help they need, you know, before you're discussing this at their funeral. Yeah, I mean, when when's a better time to talk about it? You know, when before things get bad, or like you said, at at a funeral. I mean, that's a great mm-hmm. way. That's a great way to think about it because I mean, yeah, it's these converse, these conversations are are uncomfortable, and like you said, especially among men, um, because you know this in ag in 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 the cattle industry our independence has been an asset of us for so long and Mm -hmm. we don't want to lose that. We don't want to lose that independence. We don't want to lose that. And I'll go and say sometimes stubbornness because that stubbornness can be very, very good and very, very helpful, especially when we, we do live isolated. We don't, we don't want help because sometimes help isn't always there, but it doesn't mean that we can't reach out from time to time, especially when it's our health that's involved. And there are people out, so many people out there who are willing to help and um, it's, it's, it's a really hard thing to get the ball rolling on, but I think we're beginning to do a better job. Um, mm-hmm. we, we got a long ways to go because um, just a few weeks ago, uh, some friends of mine from Wisconsin called and said that you know they lost uh, a local farmer to suicide. And I had another friend from Ohio say the same type of thing. He lost a friend to suicide. And all all of these things are still happening, even though we're getting a little bit better at talking about it, there's still a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the challenges is, you know, from the day we were born, if you grew up in egg, you were identified with the agricultural way of life. So your identity is just kind of wrapped up in this idea of being a farmer and a rancher. And so you grow up, that's your dream. And, you know, maybe you're part of a multi-generational operation. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden when things get tough, it's really easy to say, I'm not only letting myself down and my family down, but also my parents and my grandparents and my great grandparents who worked so hard to build this. And when your entire identity is wrapped up in a business and, you know, whether it's failing or succeeding, all of a sudden when things get really tough, you wonder, well, what is my value as a human being? And where do I go from here? Or what do I do with my life? you know, if I'm not in agriculture. And so I think, you know, there's just kind of that desperate moment that people kind of have to grapple with when they, you know, have to say, I need to pivot and maybe do something else because this isn't working. But that's a really tough internal, you know, battle to kind of face, I guess, when things are get going really, you know, tough on the farm. Yeah. And I think, you you say something and we've talked about we've talked about that a lot on this podcast about how people kind of wrap their identity up in that and i mean it's a good thing because it brings about passion in the work that you do because i mean let's face mm-hmm. it there's there you'll be hard pressed to find someone who's more passionate about their career and about their occupation than a farmer or a rancher i mean it's just the way it is absolutely but when the times are tough, when, when, when there is the possibility of that way of life going away for someone, we've wrapped so much of that around in, in an identity. And when we lose mm-hmm. that, we lose a part of ourselves. And I don't have a perfect solution for that, but 
that that's just kind of what we're dealing with here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I wrote about this on a blog earlier this year about just kind of how some of these emotions play out and how, you know, depression doesn't always look the same mm-hmm. for every person. And the example I used was a lizard that we had last year. And, you know, it was April. And so not only did we have a foot of snow um, on the ground, but we also had mud underneath because mm-hmm. spring was, you know, here and we could no longer safely drive a four wheeler or truck or tractor to get out to the cattle. And heck, my mom was going snow blind. Everything was starting to turn pink because they had been out there for so long. And and my dad finally said, it's not safe out there. We need to, we need to just let it go for the evening and see what kind of mess we have in the morning. I mean, we were calving and, oh, you know, gosh. calves were being born out in the snow and it was just, it was awful. But we all kind of expressed our stress and anxiety in different ways. So my dad, you know, he felt really defeated. He um, felt like he had let his cattle down and he you know, kept replaying things. What could he he done ahead of time before the blizzard, even though he did everything in his power to prepare, but he felt, you know, there's always something more you could have done. And then, you know, my mom just is exhausted and she's saying, you know, we need to retire. We're, we're older. We need to do something else with our life. You know, this is too hard. And she was more worried about, you know, my dad and, and his physical exhaustion. Um, and there's my husband who's like the typical internalize everything, bottle it up and be the tough guy on the exterior. And, you you know, don't realize at all how much worry is underneath the surface. You know, he's kind of like the duck on the pond where his feet are going, you know, a hundred miles an hour swimming, but on the surface, he looks calm. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of anxiety underneath all that. And, and, you know, there's the, there's me and my anxiety kind of plays out, you know, irrationally, I get really irritable and, and, you know, snappy. And, and I remember at one time I had said, you know, I'm done with these cows, Tyler. It's, you know, it's me or the cattle. You got to decide. And, you know, I, I say that now and it sounds really dramatic, but, you know, we laugh because a week later I'm saying, we need more cows. Let's go mm-hmm. buy some bred females, you know. But that's kind of how those emotions play out. And so, you know, some people get angry and some people get, you know, really they internalize things and some people get sad. And, so it's hard to know if your neighbor is struggling or your loved one is struggling because they could be really high functioning and doing all the things and getting the job done. Um, but on the inside, they might be going through a whole mixed bag of emotions um, that they're not even revealing to you. Yeah, it's funny the way you describe the difference in you and your husband, because that's the same way it is with my wife and I only it's the, <laughs> it's the opposite. I'm oh, the really? one. Yes, yes, I am. I'm a hundred percent the more emotional, outward one. You know, I'm the one to get mad and you know show everything, wear my emotions on my sleeve. I'm a hothead. Um, my wife is the one who's the stern, calm, on the you know on the surface, even keeled, can sure. tr- you know try to think with a level head, and um, but she's the one that kind of internalizes that and bottles that up. So it's always funny to me. It always seems like our relationship, Carrie and I, is, uh, is, is opposite of most people's because I'm, I'm the one who's the more emotional one. And it, it, it's just, it's, it's funny for me to hear other people's dynamics like that, because that's a big part of it too, is, is the dynamics, like you said, not only between husband and wife, but between your parents too, and having all those people, all those different personalities kind of, um, 
I don't want to say clashing because that's not, I don't think that's the right term, but all kind of coming together in, in, in their own unique ways and everybody dealing with it and, and being able to know, and I think you made another great point there is being able to know how each person deals with it is super, super important. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, even once you've identified like, okay, this is how I'm feeling or this is how we're all feeling, you know, it's really hard to say, well, what next? You know, right. I use the example of, you know, sometimes we just have to listen to maybe what someone's not saying. So an example that I think of is, okay, you know, on the farm, budgets are tight and, and inputs are rising and the balance sheet is, you know, you're just trying to make end meet, ends meet. But then maybe your wife is asking for a vacation. She wants to go somewhere warm, a Jamaican cruise. And, and maybe the husband is responding and saying like, hey, that's ridiculous. We don't have the money for this. Well, what is she really saying? Um, perhaps she's saying, I just need a time out. This is getting really tough for me. I need some quality time with you away from the stress of the farm. And so, you know, maybe what can you do together, whether it's a quick date night in town or, you know, just going out to eat into a movie without your cell phones and you're just talking things out. You know, sometimes I think we don't necessarily ask for what we need. We ask for what we, what we think we need. And and sometimes even just a more minimal effort or, you know, something that, Right. Just remind each other, why are we doing this and why are we passionate about this and why do we love each other we can get you both back on track and kind of working towards those shared goals. So I think we, Carrie and I had, um, I don't want to say a rough spot in our marriage because our marriage has been very good. The last 10 years has been wonderful, but there was a time where those kind of conversations they weren't very open. And I think it was on both of us. We were both too afraid to really say what was on our mind. And for me, I'm the one, see, Carrie didn't grow up on a farm at all. Um, she grew up okay. in the country, but she did not, she did not have cattle. I think her mom had two goats or something, you know, so that was the extent of her sure. farm, farm life. But, uh, you know, I grew up on a 500 head cow calf on operation. So, I mean, this is the only kind of life I've known. So having those two you know, there for, I think, I don't know. And we were having kids at that time. And there was a time where things where I tried to do things exactly like my dad did them. And I got stuck in that mm -hmm. rut and trying to be like my dad and no dad did it this way. So I need to do it this way. And whenever things didn't work out for me, the way they worked out for dad, I would get stressed and, you know, it, it would manifest into us arguing more than we should have been. And, you know, when I, I think, I don't remember, I didn't have like a cardinal moment where I had, you know, this aha experience or anything, but slowly I came to realize that there's a means to an end here. I mean, the, it, it, we can't be these hamsters on a wheel just constantly chasing these things that we're never going to obtain. We have to have some sort of, and I don't like balance because balance is a misleading word. We just have to give things the proper attention at the proper time. And I, I was taking a lot of time away from my roles as a father and a husband and putting a lot of them towards our operation. And I could see that mm -hmm. that was kind of wearing on us. And I think that's a big, I think that's a big issue with a lot of people is putting all of this hard work and may, and trying to justify it as, you know, it's hard work that it takes to make this work. And, you know, that's true, but being able to, like you said, step away from it, you know, enjoy some time away from it is, is essential to the overall sustainability of the entire thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, 
I feel like, like I'm kind of like you and I put a lot of expectations on myself and like a lot of deadlines, you know, what Mm -hmm. am I going to achieve by this point? And if I don't, I'm really hard on myself and on everybody around me. And my husband is just really steadfast and he knows what he's trying to achieve is, is going to take time and frugality and discipline. And he just Mm -hmm. never veers off course. He's just even keeled. And sometimes, you know, he might forget to communicate what he's working for toward, Mm -hmm. or he Mm -hmm. might forget to like, Hey, bring me up to speed or, you know, keep me motivated on these small victories because that's what I need to like really see the long-term gains here. And, and at the same time, you know, you, you see other people on social media and maybe they're going on vacation or they're doing fun things with their kids. And it's hard not to get into that cycle of, well, are we shortchanging our family or our, you know, kids upbringing or all of these other things. And so there's those external pressures too, that maybe become a distraction or um, lead to some discontentment when you're really focused on, on your operation goals. And so then it becomes a matter of how can we, you know, have fun as a family, um, but not totally derail our progress that we're working on at home too. And like you said, it's, you can't achieve balance. That's kind of really a hard moving target, but mm-hmm. what can you do to maybe tie all these things together? And so, you know, your family life, your home life, your marriage and your farm operation are all kind of intact at the end of the day. Yeah. And it's tough. I mean, it's like you said, that's a great way to put it. So like balance is a moving target. You can never fully achieve it, but um, being able to make sure that, you know, when you, when you make sure that everything else is okay and then go to work on something, you know, for instance, for us, a big part is we try to go on vacation as both a family and as a couple away from our kids. And, but to do that, we have to make sure that everything else is in order of our, in our lives um, financially, you know, with both of us working jobs and with a farm and, you know, for kids in school and sports and showing cattle and all these things, you know, (laughs) right. Yeah. I mean, you know how it is. And to make, just to be able to focus on one thing and really put a lot of effort into that, you have to make sure that all these other things are kind of in order first. Right. Yeah. And you don't want to become so zeroed in on or dialed in on one thing that you neglect something else, you know, because pretty soon if your marriage, there's cracks in your marriage, then all of a sudden, well, your business is soon to be divided in half with divorce or separation or, or something else too. So I, yeah, I think it definitely is. Well, now we go back to the word balance, but it is, I think the, the key is going, you know, communicating with your spouse or your family members that you're operating with and figuring out what people need to feel, to feel happy and to feel secure in their relationships and also, you know, just their, their mental well-being. And, and if someone's saying, I need to step away or I need a break, you know, maybe it's good to listen to them because overall they'll, they'll be a little happier in the long run too. And um, I, I guess I'm kind of in the, in the nice stage right now where we're in the sweet pocket where our kids are really young. And so we just spend a lot of time at home. We're not doing a lot of sports or activities yet. Oh and so gosh. we just find a lot of fun on the farm. And I know those days are going to those come. Those days are numbered, end. let me tell you. <laughs> yes, yes. Then we're going to be in 4-H and sports and all of those things. And then it's going to be a whole different ball game. But for now, we find a lot of uh, frugal fun jumping in mud puddles and playing in the barn. And, and it's kind of nice to be able to 
you know, raise your kids in agriculture, even if agriculture isn't always fun itself. But right. uh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. And you'll miss, you'll miss these days really soon because everybody, <laughs> you know, I remember all these people who had kids that were older than me talking about, Oh, you'll miss this. You'll miss this. I did not believe them. And they're, for sure. I, I honestly kind of miss my kids being in diapers and being that age because now it's like all four of my kids are, I have four boys, all four of them are in school and you know, it's, it's just a constant, just always somebody's going to something, you know, and just it's running, just running all the time. And, uh, you know, being able to take the time and actually enjoy your family is, is something that's super, super important. And for me, it's hard. It, it, it's kind of hard because I grew up almost kind of as an only child because I was so much younger than the rest of my siblings that everybody else was married. Now the house, but by the time I was able to, to relate. So my only experience on being on the farm and then growing up was, it was just me and it was only about me. And so now trying to find (laughs) all of this and being able to get all my kids to try to have the same sort of experiences that I did um, is, is a little bit tougher. You know, my mom and dad, (laughs) you know, did such a good job, but there was only me. And um, (laughs) so now trying to do that with four kids, one's in high school and, you know, two that three of them that are, you know, in still in grade school, it's, it's a really, really tough thing. Yeah. And some of my speeches, I I do talk, you know, advocacy is kind of a big one for me, but I also do quite a bit of speaking on, um, you know, the challenges of multi-generational operations and family dynamics and all of that jazz. But I talk about birth order. And so I'm, I'm the oldest, so I'm Mm -hmm. kind of like your typical type a bossy, my way or the highway sort of oldest sibling. And, you know, then, uh, then, you know, there's great differences between the oldest and the middle and the baby and kind of how they respond to farm life and what they kind of gravitate towards and how you communicate to each other. And, and yeah, it, it, it really is kind of unique for every family, but it's funny how everyone kind of has a lot of the same shared crossover experiences too, when you start (laughs) talking about dynamics of siblings and, and all of those different pieces of the puzzle. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So I want to, I want to shift gears just here just a little bit. And, you know, I want to talk about your experience with, you know, you going viral and the whole kind of storm that followed after that, you know, there was, there was great things that came out of it, but I also think that there were some, you know, there were some hard things for you as well, as far as people reaching out to you and maybe saying some nasty things. And uh, I just want to, I want to hear a little bit about that and what you, what it was like for you to deal with that. Yeah, sure. Um, So if, if people aren't familiar, I guess last fall, Um, I had written a letter to Ellen DeGeneres after she had had a a video that had said we should be neat and eat less meat was kind of her tagline. And her three reasons were because it would be better for our health and the planet's health and then the animals too. And so I kind of wrote this, this kind open letter kind of saying, hey, I eat meat and it's for these exact same three reasons. And I kind of talked about why I could feel good eating a cheeseburger and, and how it benefited my health and benefits the planet and, and is good for animals too. And um, yeah, it, it went viral and I ended up doing about 40 media interviews in the three weeks after it had kind of circled the internet. 
the activists found me, I guess, on, on day three after it had <laughs> gone viral. And so about every 30 seconds, you know, I was getting all kinds of nasty messages, it seemed like. And I'd kind of posted an update on social media like, oh, hey, the, the vegan activists have found me today. It's kind of rough, you know. And my husband came out of his office and he says, Mandy, aren't you being a little dramatic? You know, and I showed him a few examples, like, look what people are saying, you know, it's pretty bad. And, and then he's like, oh, it's fine. You know, and he goes back to his office and checks his email. Well, they had found him too. Oh, and no. he started sending him emails and he was like, okay, never mind. I guess it is that bad. So I had a little sympathy for my husband, I guess, but, uh, I guess maybe what hurt more, I, you know, I'm used to activists and, sure. and kind of just, you know, when someone's just violently threatening your life or wanting to get your kids taken away or just kind of all kinds of just nasty things, you just, you know, in the name of compassion for animals, you just can't even relate to that kind of person. So you just, I'm never going to see eye to eye with you. It's okay. What, you know, I move on with my life, but um, there was some, criticism within the agricultural community, I think that that maybe really bothered me more than anything. Um, there was cattle women that were saying, you know, why is Amanda Radke speaking out on this? She should be better to keep her mouth shut. Or, you know, there, once I started getting speaking invites, there was kind of this sector of people on Twitter that were saying things like, why would she get invited to speak places? You know, all she did was bleed all over social media. and Wait, you know, wait, just, wait, just, really... just a second. I just want to stop for a sec, just because I, I cannot, nothing you said was inflammatory. That's what I, that's what I don't <laughs> I thought get. it was pretty nice. I, I mean, yeah, I did too. I, I was, I remember reading it and I'm like, I wouldn't have been that nice, you know, especially when in written <laughs> form, you know, I mean, you were very objective and you did a very good job of telling the story of beef and why it is so not just beef but you know meat in general and why it is you know why it is healthy and why it is sustainable and why it is you know good for the environment and all these things so i mean i am honestly when when i when i you you wrote that a few months ago too and then you just said that now i i can't imagine why anybody would take any kind of offense to what you said you know i i guess i don't really understand it either besides you know i've i've learned in life maybe the hard way that when people lash out to uh, you know at you it has much less to do with, with you, you and, and maybe more about how they feel about themselves or something that they're going through and so even though it was hurtful, I reminded myself that I don't know their circumstances or why they might be lashing out or feel the need to like hurt me as a person. Um, but I will say, and I, you know, now that I've had some time away from it and I'm doing a lot of speaking now, so I'm, I'm traveling quite a bit and I've noticed I'm almost, you know, more sensitive to some of these comments now. It's like I, I was so brave and then now, now it's almost like I second guess nearly everything mm. I say almost mm. because mm -hmm. of a few, you know, comments. And I have to remind myself that, you know, my worth isn't, isn't valued in what someone's opinion of me on social mm. media is. And if mm. I'm being authentic to myself and, and my God and who I meant to be and called to be as a human being, then I don't really ever have to apologize for sharing my true authentic story. And so I kind of just remind myself of that when I feel like, oh, maybe I, sh I shouldn't post this because I might invite 
some more negative feedback. And I just think, you know, I'm just going to be me and I'm going to be unapologetically me. And I believe in what I'm saying. And, and I, I hope everyone feels that strong of conviction about something in their life where they can just say, this is what's on my mind and heart. And, and I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm I'm going to say it and say it, you know, with gusto, I guess. Yeah, no. And the the problem with, and, and don't get me wrong, and I've talked about this a lot too, I love social media and how it's, you know, made the world a little bit smaller. It's allowed me to connect with so many people, you know, guests of this podcast and people who I've actually met in real life as well. And, you know, it, it's it's been a very great blessing for me. But the, pro- mm-hmm. but the problem is, is it gives people a, a faceless interaction with someone when otherwise they would have no kind of interact, you know, they, you could say what they, whatever you wanted, and then they could hear it, maybe disagree with you, maybe, you know, even have some negative thoughts about you, but eventually just go on with their lives. You know, they, they would never come up to you on, you know, if you guys were meeting on the street or something and, and lash out at you there because, we have removed the face-to-face interaction and thus the mm-hmm. consequences that come from that. And that, that I feel like that is, the, that is the number one negative thing that social media has done to, to just not just in ag, but in, in general and in in all day, every, everybody's interaction is it, it's removed that kind of, you know, you're not going to go say this to somebody because some of the things that get said to you would lead you to probably get punched in the face and, yeah. you know, and that there's no consequence for that anymore. And that's why people say whatever right. they want to say. And I think it lends itself perfectly to your podcast and, and just this tough topic that you are tackling because you go on Twitter and the egg community there is just, nasty. Oh, I mean, I it's just, <laughs> there's just mean, mean people on there. And I think, you know, I, I kind of avoid it anymore because mm-hmm. I don't want to go on the internet and fight with strangers for fun. That is not my idea of living a full life. And so I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't think of, of a more, a bigger waste <laughs> of my time. <laughs> you know? Right, Exactly. But then I also think, you know, the people that are being so mean, it's almost like you can see that it's impacting them negatively, mm-hmm. too, because you you attract what you put out there into the universe. And so I guess part of the thing with my Ellen DeGeneres thing was I believe in being factual and, mm-hmm. and telling my story, but I also believe in being kind. And as right. human beings, yeah. we can relate to each other a lot better if we're empathetic and kind of understanding of what other people might be going through. And we give people maybe the benefit of the doubt before we go for the jugular. And it seems like even in egg, even in this farming and ranching community that we all love, there are just a lot of mean, crabby, angry people out there that would maybe do better just to get off Twitter for a while and go breathe the fresh air on the farm. You know, yeah. just oh my gosh, take yeah. a step back. It'll be good for you. Yeah, I know. And, and Twitter is that place where you can just kind of say whatever you want to. And, um, oh. you know, sometimes it gets, sometimes it gets caught, but most of the time, you know, you can kind of just get by whatever you, you know, you right. say. And uh, so that's why, like, I mean, there's, there's some great parts about it again, but it's just like, I mean, I'll get on there and I'll, I'll enjoy it for a little bit. And then I'll see some of the stuff. I'm like, eh, 
I'm just, I'm going to, I'm okay. I don't need that anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I like Instagram better. It's just feel good. Like yeah. it's, it's, an, and I suppose you can attract the kind of community you want to be around any, on any platform. Um, so I shouldn't just beat up on Twitter because it, I know. there can be uh, cyber bullies everywhere, but it just, yeah, it just seems like if it, whether we're trying to connect with other producers or we're trying to reach out to consumers and, you know, talk to them about the food that they're buying, it just seems like being kind goes mm, a lot mm-hmm. farther than, you know, being nasty or negative. Or I guess another thing I see is kind of in this advocacy movement where it seems like there's almost a police force where everyone has to share the story the exact same way or they're doing it wrong. And mm, it's like, no, hey, just yeah. like, there's no two consumers the same. There's no two producers the same. And my story right. and experience is going to be different than yours. And yeah. So, oh, my gosh. So, I know. I, yeah. I, 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 I get <laughs> so that. I realized and... when. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, well, I was just going to say, when I realized that, you know, a stranger on the Internet is making my stomach churn or making me feel, you know, anxious or or stressed out or depressed. And, you know, I I, I have to take care of myself and and realize I don't have to win the internet. There's <laughs> yep. no trophy for that. Yeah, exactly. I need to yeah. win in my own life. And if my family's happy and healthy, and if I'm happy and healthy, at the end of the day, that's what matters most. And so I've, I've blocked some people, you know, in the last several months since the Ellen thing went viral. But and my husband said, oh, that's the cowardly thing to do, you know, let them say what they will. And, it's, you know, no, I don't have to let people beat up mm. on me. Mm-hmm. To the point, you know, that it's impacting how I feel in my real everyday life. And so I think people shouldn't be afraid to protect themselves, too, from people entering their lives and making it worse off just because they signed on to a social media app. So I'm, I'm glad you said that because it brought up something that happened with me recently. And, you know, I made oh, a... Really? I, uh, yeah, because I was at NCBA um, earlier this, well, I guess last month, and um, I there there was something that was said where it was 43% of consumers believe that all cattle live in confinement for their entire life. And I said, then, okay. we, then we, you know, I said, that just shows that we need to do a better t- job of telling our story. That's, that's the tweet I made. I, I made a tweet, sent it out. I mean, you wouldn't believe the number of now, nobody in ag, but, you know, the vegan activists that, that came at me with that, you know, and just like the things they said. And, you know, I, I blocked them because I have no use for those type of people. And then I made a, you know, a tweet later where it says, you know, if you want to find somebody who wants to argue with you, there are plenty of people on the Internet, in, especially in ag, that will do that. That's right. not me. That's right. not for me. And I just, you know, and I said, <laughs> I'll block you. And because it's like you said, you you're trying to do, you know, you're a kind person. You're trying to do things in a kind way, in a nice way, in a way that, you know, that, that makes you approachable and makes people want to come talk to you. So if you are to, to, to just get those people completely out of your life, just do what you would do in real life and just totally ignore them. That's kind of the same thing as, as, as blocking them, in my opinion. You know, I mean, I know right. other people have right. different opinions and will engage with these people. I have a waste. It's a waste of my time and I will pay attention to them if they're there. So it's just Mm -hmm. better for me to just totally, you know, block them. Yep. And I I think there's a balance. I, I, my kind of policy is once I feel like threatened personally, or I feel like, like I said, it's ruining my whole day or I'm feeling that pit in my stomach where I feel anxious and impacting decisions I'm making in my own life. Yeah. Then I need to block. But if it's someone just randomly blast me whatever i 
I still don't engage, but I can look away. But I, sure. I guess that's kind of my policy too. I'm not going to get into the weeds with somebody. And so I kind of focus on the 95% of people that just want to learn about where their food comes from and, and building a community of farmers and ranchers who I enjoy and can have good conversations with. And the people that just want to fight for fun or be nasty, you know, just because that's what their thing is on the internet. Well, I just, like you said, I don't, I don't have time for that. And I, there's no use for that. And we're not going to see eye to eye and that's just fine. Yeah. 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 Well, like I said, we're, I'm kind we're kind of running a little bit short on time. Look at that. How about, I mean, that's the way it goes. We get to talking and things are, you know, things kind of go smoothly and um, <laughs> the, the time gets away from us. So mm-hmm. I, w- I want to give you the opportunity to, to share with folks where they can find you online and you know if if they if they want to reach out to you hopefully not in a mean tweet but in a (laughs) in a a nice way that's what you have a policy here we only will only tell people how to get a hold of you if they're going to be nice um where where can people find you uh sure so i'm on facebook i have a personal page people can follow me on or i just created a speaker page so speaker amanda radke on facebook I'm on Twitter at Radkey Amanda, also on Instagram, Amanda Radkey. And I have a personal website, amandaradkey.com. That's a lot of Amanda Radkeys, I apologize. And then, uh, and then I blog for beef every Monday through Thursday at beefmagazine.com. Yeah, I, I rarely miss one of those. So uh, I, I really appreciate your writing, especially I haven't seen you speak in person. But uh, I know, I mean, if it's anything like your writing, I'm sure it's, it's very influential and, uh, you know, something that a lot of people can take away something from. And uh, it's, it was really cool to actually get to talk to you today, especially after being, you know, reading you for all these years. It's, uh, it's really cool to kind of put a voice with, with the words, if you will. Yeah, well, I'm just honored that you asked, and I hope I provided something useful to your listeners. Oh, but, my gosh. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. I <laughs> well, I hope that our paths cross down the road sometime at an egg meeting or something. But, but yeah, in the meantime, we'll see you on the internet. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, thanks again for coming on today. It's, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Next week on the show, we will speak with Susan Springer. If anyone was paying attention, she was supposed to be guest on episode 22 of the podcast. However, to make sure Caroline Six interview came out the week that she was launching her Farm Story podcast, I wanted to go ahead and launch my Missouri series a week earlier. So unfortunately, I had to bump Susan's episode back about a month so we could get our Missouri producers and influencers series out all at one time so uh, my apologies to susan but uh we're going to go ahead and move forward with hers next week she is from wisconsin she's doing some really great things with not only ag producers but with rural communities in general in suicide prevention and raising awareness about suicide prevention and uh she does some really great things and we're really fortunate she sent my family um a whole bunch of t-shirts that her organization is producing to raise suicide awareness. So uh, really cool of Susan to do that for my family. So uh, again, I ask each one of you to take care of one another and we'll get through this tumultuous time all together and through the support of one another. And uh, we'll see you again next week. This is the Ag State of Mind podcast with your host, Jason Meadows. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at 
ag state of mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.